Hasuma korene Moyo enagi kumu Ya udom teni nabeka lasu That was the voice of W.J. De King, South Sudanese musician and peace activist. And this is the third episode, The Lost Boys, in the series Savannah to Suburbia, South Sudanese Australian Stories. Episode two provided some of the historical and political background to the civil wars in Sudan and the voices of some of those who had also lived through the first civil war that lasted from 1955 to 1972. Some stories have been told in other voices, where the original recordings were unclear. My name's Jennifer Huxley, and in this third episode, we hear from those boys and young men who became known as the Lost Boys. What I can remember by that time, actually I was very young. I think I was about 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly the age, but it was somewhere there. What happened, there were... The government sent troops to the village to clear out... Uh, rebel who were around in the village. So there were a big fighting happened in the area and everybody was running away because we were surprised of what happened. We don't know even the story, what happened. But what we see there was a fighting happening. So everybody was running randomly. In our village it happened earlier in the morning. I think it was around 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. So we ran away from the village and teen we go somewhere. In the morning, we we met, everybody met in different way. We hide in the bush, but some of the elders came and called people out to come out. Then we they make a group and we move from the village, crossing toward to Ethiopia border. We settled somewhere there for two days to know exactly who is alive and who is missing and who is wounded during the fighting. So from there, I didn't see my parents. I don't know even where they were at the time. I didn't see them. So we moved as a group to Ethiopia. It took us about two weeks, I think. We just walk and then we sit, we walk and sit, we walk and sit. So almost two weeks walking from the border from our village to the border crossing. Mm-hmm. So we went to Panyendo. Panyendo was a, a refugee camp created between Ethiopia mm-hmm. and, and, and Sudan. So we live in that camp uh, from 1987 up to 1991. Just before the war, uh, 1983, and that when the civil war broke out, uh, yeah. And the life was just normal uh, because it, it's a primitive life. People move from one place uh, to another. To so we have our real village. And then uh, certain season we move to maybe Riverside where they have a green pasture for the cattle and the do. And that during the dry season, people move to the river bank where the, uh, the water for the cattle. So <coughs> when the... Um, the war broke out. I was in in in, in the village, all of us. Okay, and uh, because what happened is the people from the south, 
because they were not happy with you know with the government. So they start they start fighting. So you know, and this, many of them start deserting the government and join the rebels in the bush. So then the governments try to follow them into their village and yeah, and that's how they hold villages and people were displaced. So what happened is what you know, when the, the village would burn and the people just ran. So me and my other three brothers, um, we we ran into, you know, different direction the whole my dad, my other sibling they ran to different uh, different direction. So it was like a, a whole mess. People were just running anyway in the bush in the forest. And so after a couple of days we were just walking, walking, walking and then we met people there on the way. You know, and it became a huge group of, of young people. Mother and other siblings, they they moved they ran to different different place. So so after a couple of days, we were working, and you know, we become a huge group uh, with some, you know, people who know the uh, big people, who, big people who know the area. So we just start walking around toward the the border because that's what the same place we can. So it was toward the border, uh, Ethiopia and Sudan. Yeah. Well, after a few days, uh, because there were no food. It was a dry season. Um, then we reach we reach to um, the desert. We call it desert because it's just like an empty land. Uh, there's no people there. It's a dry place. Uh, it's it's the the border between one community tribe and another on the other side. So you have to cross the dry land. So it, it's like a desert. That there's no farming area. It's not a farmland. There's no trees. Now it's it's a game reserve now. We have a very big game reserve, a wildlife reserve. So we have to cross that. I think it took took out about maybe three weeks to cross to that desert, uh, and that's where you see that a lot of mention when you talk on talk with the lost boy, they would talk about desert mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people. Uh, there were no water. There were no food. Um, everybody was dehydrating, and so it's. Yeah, and a lot of smaller kids uh, who can't make it uh, die on the way. Some will try to, you know, okay, let me sit down under the trees for a while, and then you know, the next thing you know is that sleeping, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And then people gone. These are animals, the lions, uh, hyenas. Uh, yeah, it's like a sand, but when we ran, we know there were no shoes, so we. But we used to walk on, on bare feet when we were at home to look after the cattle without wear. It's pretty much like traditional life. So, so when we ran into that desert, it was bare feet. You can see the, the, the skin coming off on, on some people. The whole south ran to different people. There were some people went to Uganda. Some people went to Kenya. Some, some went back to, to, to Sudan, to Khartoum. Uh, some went to Egypt. Uh, because what happened is the whole south were used by the SPLM rebels out the sheltered place. So, so people, civilians were displaced. Some were caught up in between. Um, 
because the government would come looking after those rebels that were fighting. So the people in the village, or everybody in the village were just displaced. And also, the, the SPLM itself, if, if I say SPLM, that is the thousand. They were using um, people their own to, to recruit into the army, including children. But I was trained later on when I was in Ethiopia. Um, and, and they went to the camp actually to recruit some, some bigger guys. Um, but I think in most cases it was, there was some false rec recruitment, but there were some people who just wanted to join, join the army. Yeah, because the thing is school, some would think that's the only way they can fight. Um, some would, because some would have that ideology, so okay, it was the North fighting the South, so it become, you know, become, they were brainwashed and they were told what happened. Okay, some would say it's about the religion, some would say it was about the politics, some would say it's about uh, the government trying to wipe out the South. So there's so many mixed messages and from the politician. In some of the books that I've read, yeah. um, John Garang came yeah. to... He actually came York. to the camp, yeah. when we, after, I think it was two, three years later. But the, his message was totally different with the with other people. He was saying, you guys are the picture of the Sudan. Because he was fighting for the Sudan, not the South. And he would say, you know, I don't want anybody to join the army because you guys are small. So focus on your education. But after he left, the other East commanders would come and, and, and recruit the, the, the bigger guys. So, yeah. So there was whole thing because it was not an organized, it's a rebel movement, it's a guerrilla war, so things are not. The Second Civil War was fought over contested resources, including oil, water and land, as well as in resistance to the renewed imposition by the Sudanese government of Sharia Islamic laws on the whole country, and Arabic as the exclusive official language. Another aspect of these violations of the 1972 Addis Ababa Agreement was President Nimeri's abolition in 1983 of the legally elected regional government and assembly in Juba, thus revoking the special autonomous status of the South. In response, opposition forces in the South mobilised around Colonel Dr John Garang de Mabior, Adinka, to form the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, the SPLM, and its military wing, the Sudan People's Liberation Army, the SPLA. Yes, uh, when John Garang was killed in that time, uh, then, uh, mm, then uh, Salfa Ki took over, the South Sudanese to, took, uh, gave him the, the chair, and this is, uh, know it from the Bible, the Holy Bible, that uh, uh, the, 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 the South Sudanese are compared like the, the, the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. That time when they were taken out by Moses uh, from Egypt, mm -hmm. and then uh, Moses took them through the crossed the Red Sea and that uh, land for 40 years. And from there, Moses 
uh, was told by God that you will not go to the promised land where the children are going. You will remain here. Then Moses was uh, died, and then Joshua was given the responsibility to take the children of Israel to the to the to, to the promised land. So uh, the, 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 it was compared that <coughs> John Garang died, and then Salfakir was like Yeshua, and then they came to the promised land. Now, when the promised land, when the children were there, the referendum was done, and it was very, very, very done successfully. That was in 98 point something. The world was really wondering. So the independence was good. In 2011, <coughs> month of July, on the 9th, and uh, then the, the, the South Sudanese were really very, very, very happy to have the new country, and it was... Uh, uh, all the people, all the countries, <clears throat> the friends, the the Sudan, and all these were really very happy to see that South Sudan stands by its own and has the independence. So it was uh, made, the country was made by the help of of uh, Umar al-Bashir, the, the president of, because we are brothers, we are one people up to now. So, uh, after the country was made and everything, the structure and everything was made and people were really very happy, especially the women were really very happy because there were the people suffering during the war, the victims of the war, they were killed, their children were killed, their husbands were killed, and they were really suffering. So when the, the country, the referendum was made and the country was independent, the women were really very, very eager and very happy indeed to see that they are now free and they are now uh, independent and they will they like to see the the the, 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 the sweetness of independence like the other women of the world. The SPLA remained the principal rebel force for the first eight years of the conflict. They were also supported in the early years by President Mengistu Hale Mariam of Ethiopia. For the Lost Boys, this made Ethiopia and what became the refugee camp Pinedo their first destination. And in 1987, the South Sudan's rebel uh, leader, uh, with his group, actually decided that uh, the children, actually, in which I was one of them, uh, will be taken from the country to a neighboring country. So, a lot of unaccompanied minors, including me, uh, traveled by foot, actually, mm -hmm. from Sudan by then to Ethiopia. That journey, actually, it was around... Uh, uh, November to December, and we, we worked for almost a month, over a month actually, it was almost two months, and we arrived in Ethiopia in a place called Pinindo uh, in 19, 
27. So we stay there and we're just in a small group. We are mixed together. Those who came from different regions of South Sudan because we have greater three regions by then called the Upper Nile and Abar Ghazal and the Equatoria. So initially we were staying actually like cousin, those who related and those who were coming from the same town but we were mixed uh, later on and put into different groups, about 12 groups actually. Where Equatorians and also the many tribes make together. We stay there as a children. We suffered a lot, yeah, from diseases. Some of us even died on the way. Some were eaten by hyenas and all the wild elements. So, and some of us who arrived there, we stayed there. Some of us died. Some of us actually were lucky to be alive, including myself. And then. We take it to school, we started our ABCD uh, classes, and then some of us went up to class 3. The government troops were trying to control the whole area of Jonglé. They were stationed at the Jonglé Canal, just east of our village. One day we went and found the government troops in the canal, but we didn't know they were our enemies. After some time, the battle started. People realised whatever happened, whether the rebels defeated them or they defeated the rebels, the fighting would spill into our region, into the villages. So the villagers started running. Some went to swamps to hide, some ran to where they deemed safe. That's when we left. It was organised by the rebels because the whole area was then under rebel control. The area was actually the rebels' base. We knew them and they knew us, so it was arranged for some people to escort us to Ethiopia. There were families. It was a choice to leave or stay. I went with the other boys. My family remained. My mother, father, little sister, and brothers remained behind. They were all right because they sought shelter from another area. I was already separated from them because I was in the cattle camp. The way separation happened was different for each person. How you were separated from your family. I thought when I went, my family would come too. I was only little. When I was there, I asked, when are they coming? There was no telephone, only messages from people. The boys were in Pinedo for the next four years. Uh, the life was a bit hard. It was really hard because we cooked for ourselves. There was no enough food. And UN brings, actually they bring ratio, they call it ratio. They bring the distribute ratio and the, those ratio and it was not enough was not enough food so when you have a meal in the morning you don't have to have a meal in the in the evening so once a day if you got it you're lucky if you don't that's it maybe next day you might get something and do you know what happened with your family i didn't know i thought they had all of them died because there was no mean of communication. Um, so you didn't even know. They don't even know where I am. So it was very hard to find exactly where your parent is and where your sons or daughters are. So it was a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. And 
No one knows. Sometime, that's long time after I come to Kenya. Eight, over eight years. It took us two to three months to reach where we were going. So I stayed there in Ethiopia. 87, 88, 89, 90. In the camp, for hygiene and all you have to do, I had to look after myself. But we were organised in groups. We had team leaders tasked with leadership roles to organise how we could do our jobs to make it more easy for everyone. It was not like being by yourself. No, we were in a group and those groups were broken down into numbers. Those numbers, 10 to 15 people, had one person leading them, an adult person, sharing the same food, where to stay, sharing everything. It wasn't like living on your own, it was organised. When you were sick, someone could take care of you. Otherwise, no one could survive. All those journeys you just walked. No car, no bus. You just walk, walk, walk. It's terrible. It's terrible. The southern part of the country is a very vast area. You walk a whole day. I don't know how many kilometres that you covered by walking. It's a constant walk to reach where you intend to go. But the good thing... We were walked as a group. We encouraged each other. We took care of each other. We looked after each other. We carried our belongings. We carried our water, our food, and we shared. No one was left by himself or herself to survive. If you reached the stage that you couldn't even walk, people had to carry you. But we did lose many people on the way from diseases and the fighting. In 1987, we left the village and walked to Ethiopia. We went there for education. First of all, it was just me and my younger brother. The rest joined us later. I was 17 years old. We reached Ethiopia on the 22nd of November 1987. It was hard when we went to Ethiopia because you had to wait for the UN food and there was no milk, no meat. You had to wait to eat different food. A lot of kids got sick. We stayed there for four or five years until there was a war in Ethiopia. There were a lot of kids, a lot of difficulties because of what we'd gone through. Life wasn't easy because the kids were by themselves and had to take care of themselves and become responsible, even while they're still young. Much better than the kids nowadays who are very irresponsible. We built houses, we created a lot of activities, playing football, netball, basketball. It was really interesting. We didn't have any video camera to make a documentary for when you grew up, but still, the memories can come into your eyes. What was special can come into your mind because you don't have anything to look at. At that time, my dad was in Malakal with the state. He was still working there as a police officer. My stepmom was also there. The rest of the kids were with us, but we were not living together. They mixed all the kids so that you couldn't stay with your relatives. You couldn't stay Dinka with Dinka. No, they mixed all the tribes of South Sudan, which are 64 tribes. Like if you are from the Equatoria, or if you're from Nua or Dinka or Merli, they mixed you so you all became friends. There was no fighting or tribalism. Everyone was friendly to each other. Everyone was taking care of each other. When your friend came to you, or your guest, or your brother, you had to prepare food for them. If someone was sick, you had to take that person to the hospital.
1991, two crucial events took place. One was the overthrow of Mengistu in Ethiopia, bringing to an end Ethiopian support for the SPLM rebels and the South Sudanese in Pinedo and other refugee camps that had been established in the country. Attacked by Ethiopian and some Eritrean rebel forces, the Lost Boys and others were once more abruptly forced to flee. The long walking started again. When war started between Eritrea and Ethiopia, there were attacks in Penudo. Eritrea and Ethiopia were fighting, and so there was exchange of fire. Because of that, we just had to run again. We had to escape. We escaped through the border of Ethiopia, coming back to South Sudan. On the way, there's what they call Jilo River. That river, a lot of people lost their lives there because it's a big, big river and most of the people didn't swim. We were using boats, but those boats weren't enough. People were running away and there was shooting. The Eritreans were shooting people. There was no system of organising ourselves to get a boat and say that these people have to cross and other people have to come after. So you had to make sure you had the possibility to get in that boat. And also, the boats got drowned and a lot of people, if you didn't swim, they also lost their lives. A lot of people lost their lives on that day, so that was another horrible time before we crossed to the border. I managed to get on a boat and that's why it was possible to cross. After we crossed the River Gilo, we walked on foot to Pokala near the border of Ethiopia and South Sudan. We lived in Ponkala for about a year. We were supported by the UN. They distributed rations, the brown rice. The ration was not enough for all people in the camp, but people were able to get at least a small number of rations to sustain their life, while some people, due to a food shortage, were sustained by eating the leaves of trees. It was a very difficult time for all the people who were living in the camp, including myself. After that, the war was started again between the Arabs in the north and the SPLA-SPLM. Innocent people in Ponkala lost their lives in crossfire shooting. We left Ponkala at night by foot to Capoeta, but Ponkala to Capoeta is quite a long distance. On the way, a lot of people passed away due to hunger, thirst and sickness, so it was another bad experience that I had with my friends who were fleeing with me. At Magolf town, on our way to Capoeta, we were shot at again at night by unknown gunmen while we were sleeping. As a result of this shooting, some people were injured and more people lost their lives. And... In 1991, that was during the Gulf War, you call it here, but by then we were not aware as children about what was going on around the world. So John Grant, who was our leader by then, decided that the children would be taken back to to Sudan because the Ethiopian president, who was his friend actually, was overthrown. Throne, and then a new person came in, so they were not praying to the new person because there was a war between Ethiopia and Eritrea. So we were taken back to 
to the border of Ethiopia and uh, Sudan and Sudan. And then we arrived to a place called Hoshala. So we stayed there. Life was difficult. Actually, there was no food. And then things like mosquitoes actually bite us because we don't have even mosquito net. So it was a miserable life, actually. When we left Ethiopia, we came to the border of South Sudan. One thing I remember, when we got to the border, the northern regime sent Antonovs to come and bomb the Pochala area where we were. At that time, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we ran to the airport. We didn't know that there was a war plane. The Antonov was getting close to the airport and we were gathering there. We thought maybe it was bringing relief food. Everyone was running into the airport, all us young kids, but they were coming to bomb us. Then we across the border again when the Ethiopia government was toppled by the rebel. 91. So we went back to Sudan and across border to Kenya. I live in Kenya for... I came to Kakumo in 1994. So I live in Sudan from 91 until 94 at the border there. It was a displaced camp. Actually, it was a... It's a Kenya refugees camp, but it was within the country. Uh, I live in three areas. I live in uh, Pachala. Then I came to Kapoeta, then to Nairus, and we are cross-border to Kenya. For many of the lost boys who survived the walking, the wild animals, the shooting, the bombings, the hunger and sickness, Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya became their home for the next decade or more. Kakuma became the place where they grew into adolescence, could take up their education, and sometimes again found family members who they'd lost when they fled their homes. I'm Jennifer Huxley. And this is episode three of Savannah to Suburbia, South Sudanese Australian Voices. In this episode, we've heard stories from the Lost Boys. In the next episode, we'll hear about the destructive internal fighting within the SPLM that began in 1991 and erupted into a new civil war in 2013 within the new country of South Sudan. Thank you to W.J. DeKing for permission to use his songs. We acknowledge Jock Maduk Jock and Sharon Hutchinson's 1999 paper, Sudan's prolonged Second Civil War and the militarisation of Nuer and Dinka ethnic identities, as a source for this episode. For further information about the series and full source references, or to contact us or subscribe for free to the series, go to MorningsideSoundProductions.com, or you can access the podcasts from your usual source. Ooh, 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 ooh,